0: You can join me in, Jan, in Daniel chapter 3 this week. If you'd like to, to follow along in scripture, you can find the book of Daniel. Daniel, as we talked about last week, is an Old Testament book. Um, it's an interesting book. It is 12 chapters long. The first six chapters kind of contain the story of the life of Daniel. The second six chapters um, contain some prophecy that Daniel is given from the Lord. And so we've been talking about this idea of culture. And how we as followers of Christ attempt to understand culture and attempt to understand our place in culture. And how we as the children of God can live and influence culture while not being shaped by the culture in ways that we're not supposed to be. Last week we talked about how we are not at war with culture, but that we are culture. That we are not somehow at war with the things going on in our world, but we are a part of that. We just have to figure out how to shape and mold our culture to fit what we would like to see. And we're looking to answer, answer this question. This question sits at the base of all of it. How do you stand firm with God while living in a rapidly changing culture? We live in a culture where things change and things move. So how do we as believers, how do we stand firm in God while we're unsure of what's going on all around us because things keep changing? And last week, we were introduced to four guys. We were introduced to Daniel, Hananiah, Michel, and Azariah. And last week, we talked about how their names get changed. Their names become something different. That culture looks to shape them and change even their identity. One name change doesn't really seem to stick, as as the book of Daniel is known as Daniel, not Belteshazzar, and that's what his name gets changed to. His name stays Daniel. But the other three guys, if I was to ask you the famous story out of the life of Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, that might be harder to pin down. But if I was to ask you the famous Bible story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that might sound a little more familiar. If you're familiar with Veggie Tales, the story of Rakshak and Benny. That that, you know, we, we know we Daniel does get called Belteshazzar sometimes in the book of Daniel, but we know him as his original name, Daniel. But but the other three guys, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, we really know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names that they were given when they entered into the, the Babylonian captivity. And this week, we're going to take a look at the story that surrounds these guys. We're going to read a lot of verses this morning. Um, We're not going to read every verse from Daniel chapter 3, but we're going to read most of the verses from from Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at how culture tries to influence and and shape them and their lives and see how they handle compromise and the consequences that we talked about last week. Remember, last week, we talked about how culture is going to ask us to compromise and how when we face culture, if we choose to not bend to culture, we're going to be confronted with cultural consequences for that. And so we're going to look at how this, this plays out in Daniel chapter 3. So, so ver, the, we'll start at Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Um, that's about 27 meters tall or about 90 feet. So really tall. Really tall. And it's about nine feet or about two and a half meters wide. We don't know what a cubit is, but that, that's what a cubit means. So he makes this gigantic statue of gold and set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I'm not getting the um, slide to go to the next one here. I don't know why it's not working. Um, well, verse 2 says... Um, Then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, repeats all the names, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Um, and then the herald loudly proclaimed. Now, I want you to listen to this carefully because what they're going to describe here, we need to pay attention to what, they, what the command is that they tell the people to do because we're going to have to circle back to this in a moment. But what let's, let's just read, listen to this carefully. Verse 4, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace." So what we see here is that the king makes this gigantic golden statue, sets it up in the middle of this plain so that it's visible from as many directions as it can be. And he makes this, this cultural touchstone, this cultural proclamation, this, this edict of culture that, that says you are going, when you hear the sound of all of these instruments, the moment that you hear that, something cultural is going to take place and as a culture, you're going to take a moment and you're going to worship this statue. Now one thing I just want to highlight for you here is because we, we, we can, you know, take sometimes some of the words and understand them in a really one context, but, but the word that, that's, wor- that's used for worship here is not necessarily the way that we would use the word worship. You know, we just came out of worship. That part of our service is we're singing praises to God. And if we worship something, we think about sort of like the, the offering of ourselves and, and placing it in a, in a, in a in, you know, we worship God. And we read, you know, that you should not worship other gods before me. And we think of worship in that sense. But the word more means to, to pay respect, or pay homage to. And so, so what's been set up is, is that, that there's this statue, and when you hear all these instruments blast, you need to take a moment and pay homage and pay respect to the king by paying homage and paying respect to this statue. It's just sort of like take a moment and give the king your attention. Now, notice carefully um, as, as we read through there, it wasn't a ban on other worship. It wasn't a denial of who you believed God to be. We're going to talk about that later on. There comes another king later on down the line that says you're not allowed to worship other gods. And in fact, you have to pray to me as your king. You're not allowed to pray to your God. You have to pray to me. And so we're going to see a king who does that. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do that. Um, He says, if you want to follow and worship the God of the Bible, okay, okay. If that's what you want, you can go ahead and do that, Just also do this. It wasn't a request to deny your God, but it was a quest to, or a request to compromise your relationship with God. Now, obviously we don't see a one-to-one parallel of this in our world today, especially in in the part of the world we live in, in the culture we live in. We don't have a golden statue that we're called to pay homage to, that that's more of a a thing. There may be other places in the world where things like that take place, It maybe places in the past like this. That's not really the reality that, that we live in today. But here's what perhaps this looks like for us in our culture today. Something happens in our culture. And while we would never dream that somehow it demands or or requires our worship, that we wouldn't say, I'm going to make an idol out of this cultural thing. I'm going to make an idol out of this thing. I'm going to worship it alongside of God. Or we wouldn't imagine to allow it to take the place of God. But... What do our conversations continually center around? What, what does our Facebook wall start to look like? What, what begins to influence our relationships and how we feel about other people? What is shaping our, our view of ourselves, our people, and our outlook on the world? That, that we haven't actively made this thing a god, made this thing an idol, but we, we've seen these cultural touchstones and moments, and suddenly they really become the center of our lives. Without ever making a choice to push God out, we, we've allowed something to crowd in on God. Is it God or, or is it something as simple as the color of a dress online? I don't know if you remember that, but there was a cultural moment at the beginning of all of this pandemic where nobody could decide if the gr- dress was gold or if it was blue or whatever. And it was, it was all over the place. Is it a relationship with God, or, or is it issues going on in the world? Now, now you may say to me, Pastor, my Facebook wall's never been about God. To which I would say that doesn't make this any better. That, that's not the point. The point, well, I never gave God that anyway. Well, then maybe you should. We, we may not have an official golden statue to look at, but culture builds up golden statues for us and demands that we pay attention to them. And if we allow a cultural golden statue to to occupy the same space in our lives that God should be, we end up paying homage to it. We can end up worshiping it. But so we see that the king has set up this statue. He's set up this cultural touchstone, this cultural moment, this cultural thing that's going to take place and demands that culture responds to it. Verse verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's a cultural moment. It's a cultural touchstone. It's the kind of thing that we say to each other, where were you when? You know, and we have those moments in our life. Depending on how old you are, you know, we're living through some of those right now. You know, the the things that we're living through right now, we will, you know, if you don't have grandkids already, you will be telling your grandkids about later on in life. But we have those, you know. I know exactly where I was on 9-11. When, when I first heard what had taken place, I was driving to work in Calgary and could not understand the bit I was hearing on the radio. Thought, is this supposed to be funny? I don't get it. This isn't funny. I don't understand. And then realized, this is a real thing. But where, where were you when man first landed on the moon? Now, I wasn't born yet, but, but for some here, you will remember that. That no matter how many years have passed, you'll be able to remember they wheeled a TV into the classroom and we watched Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. That there's these cultural touchstone moments. Where were you when? And we see this where, where there's this moment where all of the instruments blow and the entire world seemingly comes to a stop. And everyone, it says everyone of all nations and tribes, everybody bows down and worships. And so we see what we talked about last week, the culture has looked to find some compromise and, and people from all over the kingdom are worshiping this statue, except not all. If we jump down a couple of verses, we're not gonna, like I say, we're not gonna read all of the verses, but if we jump down to verse 12, we see a, a report of some people who are, who are not doing this. Verse 12 says, but there's some, some officials and they come to the king and they say to him, but there are some Jews who haven't, Or whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your Majesty. Now listen to this next part because this is important for us to hear, and to see, and to understand. Because what 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 were they asked to do? They were asked to pay respect to a statue but look what the understanding of the culture was to paying respect to this edge. On paper, this isn't what they asked them to do, but in reality, this is what that meant. They neither serve you or neither serve your gods, nor worship the image of God you have set up. Bow down and just pay homage To the statue. It's not that big of a deal. But look at what the cultural understanding of what that means. They don't serve your gods. That wasn't in the decree. It didn't say you need to convert to the king's religion. It didn't say that. They didn't ask them of that. But when we choose to bow down to the statue, there's unintended things they're painting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as these rebels out against the king. And their words work because the king is furious. If we move down to verse 14. There we go. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Again, That wasn't what they were asked to do. But it's the consequence of doing what they were asked to do. You do not serve my gods or worship the image of God I have set up. Verse 15. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image of I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Again, we talked about this last week. That culture will give you compromises for not conforming to culture. And and last week we also saw another example of compromise that we talked about. The king never said, worship my God. It wasn't in the decree. People, you just need to pay homage to the statue. But in the king's eyes and in his heart... The compromise of the statue that was really, it was really something else entirely. This was a pathway to the worship of the Babylonian gods. It wasn't that big of a deal, except it was that big of a deal. I'm just paying respect to the king through the statue. Eh, Not really. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... There is some potential, very real consequences for, for not participating in this cultural moment. This moment of compromise to, to not share in it could have some very real consequences. And th- th- this time, the consequences are coming from the king. Compromise or there will be consequences. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Remember, the king said, what God will be able to protect you from me? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, our God can protect, you, or can protect us. Our God is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. This is a very real, very serious, very scary moment. Remember, the king isn't curious as to why they didn't bow down. He didn't call them to to report to him because huh, I'd like to know more about your choice. Um, He isn't even frustrated. Scripture will say he was furious. But for our our guys today, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've made a choice. Cultural touchstone or not, cultural moment or not, nothing is going to take God's place in our lives, no matter the consequence. Because they had faith in what God would do. But even bigger than that, they had faith in who God is. See, sometimes we're okay placing our faith in the first one. What we think God will do. I have faith that God will do this. I have faith that God will do that. I, I have faith that God will provide. I have faith that God will do, that, that, that we, can, we can have that kind of faith. But sometimes it's really hard to have faith in who God is when God doesn't do what we think he should. That that's where it gets tricky. When we stand in faith and we say, "I have faith that God will do this." And then then God doesn't. This this is where it gets real. This is where we find out what we really believe about what we really believe. Is God still God when He doesn't answer your prayers the way you want Him to? Is God still God when He seemingly doesn't answer your prayer? Oh God. Give me this new job. Oh God, take this pain away. Oh God, change this moment in my life. Is God still God if he doesn't? Shadrach and Meshach said, My God can deliver us from you, O king. But even if he doesn't, my God is still God. For Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they had a faith in what God will do, but more than that, they had a faith in who God was. A faith that allowed them to stand up when everyone else was kneeling down because they knew that they wouldn't be standing alone. They knew that God was with them. See, it's hard to stand for something When you have nothing to stand on. Standing firm takes faith. How do we stand against culture's plans for our identity? How do we stand against culture's compromises? How do we stand against cultural consequences? We have to have something to stand on. We have to stand in faith. A faith that says we're not standing alone because God is with us. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it had better be a very real faith in God, because it's about to get tested in the most real way imaginable. Verse 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. Up until now, he had tried to kind of be for them. You know, we, we talked about last week how they were brought out of captivity, but they were placed in a place of prominence. Well, whatever good favor they had left, it's gone now. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So you're not just getting the punishment we had previously discussed. You're getting a worse consequence for what you've done and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king's furiousness his anger, his wrath towards these insolent people cost him some of his best soldiers. Remember, we read, he looked for the strongest soldiers to come and tie them all up and throw them into the fire. He was so angry, he was willing to sacrifice some of his best soldiers. In verse 23, eventually, and these three men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if if he doesn't, God didn't stop it. God didn't intervene. The king did exactly what he said. These, These men were thrown into a fire that was so hot, the guys who threw them in there were killed by the fire. I can only imagine the prayers of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they're being brought to the fire, God, 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 we're running out of time for you to do something. And then it's seemingly the moment of truth and they're cast into the fire. Is God still God when you get thrown into the fire? Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. Verse 25. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of Of the gods. That's ancient Babylonian. For that sure looks a lot like Jesus. (laughs) There's this moment where they look into the fire. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are unbound. Their ropes didn't survive the fire. But they did. And there's somebody else. In there, but it's not just someone else. Even even a pagan king looks and says, There's somebody else in there, but there's something about that somebody else. Our God can save us. But it sure didn't look like he was going to. And the moment they were being tossed in the fire, I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had come to grips with the idea that, okay, maybe he won't. But as they fall into the fire, they find God's provision. As they walked in the consequences of choosing not to be shaped by the culture, not to conform to the culture, what they found on the other end of it was Jesus. They found that Jesus met them in the fire of culture. The fire that that came from standing up when everyone else kneeled Jesus was there to meet them. But there's one more thing that I want for us to see in this story. Because that's a great moment to stop in the story. It's a great story to understand. And it's important for us to see this. So often we can think that that in our standing up for culture, it, it's about me. It's about us. It's about my heart and my life and I'm not going to bow and I'm not going to show the world how strong my faith is. And when we think God meets us in the fire, that, that it's all about us. Look at that. God saved me. Look at this testimony I have to give of how good God is. God did this miracle in my life. And it's really easy to read this story and to t- come to the conclusion that this story is about Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego, and their their relationship with God and their relationship with culture, and and that is part of the story. But at the end of this story, as as we see the last verses unfold, we see what it means to be used by God and what our standing in culture, if we we stand for God, should lead to. We don't just stand against culture because somebody's got to stand. Simply because we need to stand. But when we stand in the face of everyone kneeling, when we're faced with a fire and we still stand, when we find Jesus in the fire and we pass through the fire by his grace, we don't just stand in defiance of culture. We change culture. We shift culture towards God. Let's read the next three verses, 28, 29, and 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, remember this, he's so furious, he's willing to sacrifice some of his best, strongest men. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into pile of rubble. His heart's still a work in progress. Sanctification doesn't happen all at once. He's given his life to Jesus, but Jesus has still got some stuff he's got to work through. It's not all gravy right away. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand against culture, but not just because God's, or somebody's got to stand. They change the culture around them. Notice the language change from Nebuchadnezzar. Notice his heart change. All of a sudden we see Nebuchadnezzar is getting saved. Here all of a sudden Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they've stood firm in the face of culture and it's not just so that culture would know that they were against it but all of a sudden their stand against the culture has changed and shaped the culture. All of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar is like hey, you serve the most high God and I want to serve the Most High God. All of a sudden, the G for Nebuchadnezzar goes from a lowercase g to an uppercase g. That it's not a god, but he finds God. And the stand stand of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ends with them changing the culture around them. And so, three things we can take away from this story as we understand what it means to stand up. First, when you stand for Jesus, you need to stand in faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made an incredible statement that shows what it means to walk by faith. Our God will save us, but even if he does not. See, we're not promised a road free of bumps in standing for Jesus. That's not the road we've been given. Even even Jesus will tell us that to follow him is to choose the hard, narrow road. That, That if we choose to follow Jesus, we're going to have to make a hard choice to choose a road that's not going to be easy. And Jesus will say, actually, there is going to be a road that's wide and it's smooth and it's easy. And you're going to be tempted to take that road. But if you want to follow me, you have to reject that road. And you have to choose the road that's harder to walk. And so to stand for Jesus means that we have to stand with a faith that says this narrow, hard road, this is the one I'm willing to take. No no matter the cost. No matter how things turned out. A faith that says, My God is able to save. But even if he doesn't, that's a hard place to be, a hard choice to make. But the second thing we take away is that when you stand for Jesus, you don't stand alone. Even when it comes to those moments where, where you're confronted by a blazing furnace and, and even if you end up in the blazing furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confronted as far as someone could be before they became a martyr. And what they, what they, they found at the end of the line was Jesus. Jesus met them in the furnace. And the same is true for us, that when we take a stand for Jesus, no matter how it looks, no matter how the story unfolds, how we feel about it, how others may feel about it, we're not alone. See, I asked you the question, is God still God when he doesn't do what we want? Is God still God when we're in the fire? And the answer to that question is, of course he is. He's right there with us. It's not a question of actually who God is. It's, is God still God for me when I'm asked to stand in a fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego met Jesus in their fire, and he will be there with us as our story unfolds. And third, when you stand for Jesus, people will see Jesus in you. When we take a stand for something, when we take a stand against something, what people, or what are people seeing in us? So often we can make these kinds of stories about us, but it's really about others. Our our relationship with culture isn't just simply standing against something. Our relationship with the world isn't just simply being against the culture. It's about the world around us that needs to be influenced being influenced by the right kind of culture. We're not at war with the culture. We are the culture. And so the challenge for us, for you today, for me, is our relationship with culture leading the people around us, the culture around us, who don't know Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, closer to him or further from him. Are people seeing Jesus in us, in the way we speak, in the way we handle the cultural moments and touchstones? Friends, there are times when you, when we, are going to need to take, to take a stand in our culture. Perhaps even in direct defiance of what the culture says. And we as a church, as people, will be put in a place where we need to stare down the consequences of standing for Jesus. Not because we're against culture, but because we're for Jesus. And we want to see culture influenced for Jesus. We want to change our culture and see it changed for Jesus. I want to close with Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we know that, that we as, as your believers need to stand for you. That when the world kneels, when the world gives priority, when the world, when the culture speaks and says, this is culture, Jesus, we don't want to make an idol out of culture. God, we don't want culture. We don't want cultural touchstones, cultural moments, things that are happening in the world around us to somehow squeeze you out of the center of our lives. So God, I pray for the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for for myself and, and for all of us, that when we need to stand up for Jesus, when we need to stand up for you, God, that we would be able to stare down the consequences of culture and be able to stand with a faith that says, my God can deliver me, and even if he doesn't, still, I'm not going to kneel. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be able to, to live with that kind of courage, to choose the hard road, to choose the difficult, the difficult path when we need to, God, because it's what you've called us to do. And God, I pray for, for each one who's gathered here, each one watching online, that maybe in their heart in life right now recognizes where they've kneeled to culture recognizes where maybe they said, I've allowed this to become something it shouldn't. I've made a choice to allow this to become part of who I am that I shouldn't. I have made a choice to embrace culture in a way that isn't godly. And God, I pray for all of us right now that you would help us to have our, our hearts and our lives illuminated to see where we've, we've made a choice. To embrace culture, to kneel, to make a small, a small compromise where I'm just paying homage to the king. And God, I pray that you would help us. Where we're, where we're kneeling, God, allow us to make a choice to stand. Even in this moment, God, allow us to stand for you. God, we we want what you have for us. We want what's best. For us and we know that you have what's best for us and so God I pray that you would help us to be able to stand in faith to know we're standing with you and to allow our stand to point people to you Jesus we love you and we want to see our world shaped for you and God we don't do that by bowing to culture we know we do that by standing for you in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Does life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down?
0: Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
1: We both know what it's like to be heard both know what it's like to feel pain But I think it's safe to say We're on to better days Can you, can you relate? Can you relate? Have you ever been left when you should've been loved? Has there ever been a time when you stayed but you should've run? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. I've been right, I've been so, so wrong Yeah, I've made my mistakes Now I don't know what it's like to be